Welcome to the Missouri Valley's Mobilizing Voices for Change, One Valley Podcast. I'm Kelly Burke, and joining me today is the past and present of Loyola basketball, Jerry Harkness and Lucas Williamson. Jerry is an All-American captain of the 1963 Loyola National Championship team that included the infamous Game of Change. He went on to play for the New York Knicks and the Indiana Pacers. Jerry was also the first Black salesman for Quaker Oats and first African-American sportscaster in Indianapolis. He's been active his entire life in the fight for civil rights. And recently he wrote his first memoir, Connections, which he will share more about. Lucas was a freshman on Loyola's Final Four team and is coming off a Sweet 16 senior season. He's a journalism major who's using his voice to speak out against race and social justice issues. Lucas is currently a narrator and co-writer of a documentary on the 1963 Loyola National Championship team that is coming out later this year. His former head coach, Loyola's Porter Moser, said about Lucas, quote, that he's going to leave awake, referring to Lucas's post-basketball career. And the good news is he recently announced he is coming back for one more season. So Jerry and Lucas, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a, it's a pleasure. And uh, I was really happy to hear that Lucas was coming back. Good move. Yeah, I'm excited. I think we're all excited that Lucas is coming back. Everybody uh, that's a fan of the conference and a fan of Loyola. Jerry, let's start with you. You were born in Harlem, and you told me actually last week that basketball wasn't even initially your best sport growing up. How did an encounter with Jackie Robinson at your local YMCA change the course of your life? Wow. Um, they were, I was involved uh, with um, cross country. Uh, I ran distance racing and that was my first love and I really enjoyed it. And uh, matter of fact, I had scholarships to St. John NYU in track and field. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and then I went to the Y and, and was shooting around I had played a lot, but cross country was my main focus. And I was going, just shooting baskets and a guy came behind me and tapped me on my shoulder and said, hey, you're not that bad. I turned around and my eyes buckled wide and I was all excited because that guy, he just took and gave me a little grin and then he, he left. And I told him, thank you, though. I, I remember that. And his name was Jackie Robinson. And uh, so that was the first time somebody uh, kind of motivated me and stimulated me to, towards um, a basketball. And Jackie played baseball, as you know, basketball, ran track and so on. So I kind of connected to him. And uh, that was the beginning. Because uh, I, I left Harlem, moved to the project, and they had a basketball team, so I got really involved there. Then I would play in Rutgers Park, and I got better and better. But um, I stayed to track and field, and I did not try out for the, my high school team until I was a senior because my mind was focused in on, on the track. 
and I thought of Jackie, and then and everybody was telling me that I should go out for the basketball team, and I did, and I made the team, and then um, I started, and then we won everything in um, in high school basketball, and I kind of led the team, but uh, that was the beginning of of it all, and it all started with. Jackie Robinson saying you're not that bad. Incredible. The the Jackie Robinson. Lucas, you as I mentioned a few minutes ago, you recently announced along with three of your senior teammates that you are coming back for one more year to the joy of everybody in our conference. After a sweet 16 run, you you obviously have some unfinished business on the court. What unfinished business do you have off the court at Loyola? Um, off the court, um, I'm actually helping work on work on a documentary featuring the 1963 team. Um, I'm helping narrate and helping tell their story. Um, actually, a very incredible story. Um, you know, they the, that team not only did they win the championship at the highest level, but they also had to deal with a whole bunch of things that I couldn't even begin to imagine um, off the court. Um, so that's been fun, you know, being able to, to connect with um, guys that have shared the Loyola jersey um, and, you know, get really get to know their story in depth. Um, so that's that's been it's been a lot of fun. How would, Lucas, just to follow up on that for a second, how would you say that being a part of that documentary has impacted you in ways that you, you couldn't even imagine when you started working on it? Yeah, well, I mean, initially it just. I just felt very thankful, um, you know, for the for there's guys in front of me that have paved the way so that all, all I have to do is focus on basketball. Like I've never felt, you know, um, threatened because of the color of my skin um, that, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to go out and just play basketball. Um, so I just initially I just felt really thankful. And then like really like diving deep down and, and, and getting into the depths of the story. Um, it was just more like, uh, man, like these guys are real life heroes. Like these, these are the guys that, you know, deserve the praise, deserve, um, you know, the recognition, um, deserve, they deserve so much more than I feel like, um, they, they have so far. I mean, not too many people know the story of the 1963 Ramblers. Um, so, you know, just being a part of something that is able to get their name out there, you get that story out there. It's just been really special. Jerry, as uh, Lucas mentioned, when you when you and, and the 1963 team, when you guys would go on the road to opposing arenas, especially in the South, you were dealing with death threats. You were dealing with people spitting on you. Uh, you had to stay in segregated hotels. How did you focus on basketball when you were enduring such horrible treatment and conditions? Well, I think Kevin's I had uh, my buddies with me, Les and Vic. Les and Vic were from Nashville, so they were um, connected to it a little bit earlier than Ronnie Miller and I because we we're from Harlem in New York, and uh, it was a little different. But it, it, oh, it was eye-opening, uh, even going to Loyola because and believe it or not, uh, we, we're talking about 1963, and 
even in the dormitory, there were not that many African-Americans. And it was something new for us, even for the, the students that were at Loyola, uh, to have uh, African-Americans in the dormitory and things like that. So uh, we had to really, really make adjustments. I'll never forget when we first came there, they had a a program for the freshmen and they would put their beanie caps in a box and the girls would pull out a beanie. The boys would put it in the box, the beanie, and they would pull it out and that would be the first dance. So uh, a lot of times that brought about a problem because, um, I'll never forget that a, a fellow by the name of Pablo Robinson, he uh, drew uh, a white girl and um, they started dancing and then he was stopped. They stopped the dancing because of a uh, black uh, dancing with white. That was 63 and it just was a big difference. Um, it just had a lot of problems in that. I remember we had something at Mundelein where um, Mundelein, the, the girls were having a little get together and we didn't have much to do. We we're in the dorm. It's on a weekend. And we said, let's go over to Mundelein. And we got over there early before everybody else, except the girls were all white girls. And uh, we went in to, um, the Monday line, and uh, right away you could see that they were afraid, and I didn't realize that until later on in life. But um, one of the guys went over and just said hi to the the girl, and the girl started tearing up, and I, I could I'll never forget it. She was shivering, she was nervous. And all that. And then a, a uh, nun came in, saw her shaken up and all that, and thought it was because we were threatening them or something. They were just nervous, and they had not been around black men before, young men, as they lived in Connecticut, uh, Winnetka, Glencoe. So they, they had no experience. Uh, of um, inner Chicago. So things like that came about. And then uh, Ireland had to call us down because uh, this one situation, which was kind of knocked out of hand there. We we didn't, we're trying to be friendly, but they panicked, they were scared. And uh, they called a nun and nun went to Ireland and told them that we had, we're threatening the girls over there. And uh, he called us in, and we had a, a nice talk, which took place quite a bit. We also, when we were on our way to play Loyola of New Orleans, he called the black players in and said, hey, uh, this will be a first for them and all of this, and this is, and they're going to be blacks on one side and whites on the other. And he says, are you ready to take this on? I'll never forget that. And we said, no, I was as captain. I said, we're not going down there under those circumstances. So it was a lot of first. And then he talked us into it and told them that things will, we'll check and make sure things will change. 
then we got to New Orleans and um, when we got to the airport, I think, yeah. Um, oh, we, that's right. When we got to the hotel, we changed into a black cab and the white guys stayed at the hotel. We had to stay with, with family members um, and with a church and so on. So that had gotten to be almost ho-hum for us as uh, running into things like that. Now, there were other situations, but we took to the South where other schools that had a lot of blacks on it, they didn't go to the South. They just didn't play in those conditions. And we decided, hey, we, we were going to do it. And that's what we ran into, situations such as that. Jerry, let, let's talk about the, the game of change for a minute. Um, you know, for, pe for people that are unfamiliar, you know, your Loyola team, you had, you had four black starters. Um, Mississippi State, meanwhile, um, at the time, they were not supposed to play racially integrated teams. And they had Mississippi State, essentially, they defied the governor of Mississippi's orders um, when they even played you in the second round of the tournament. Um, you and Joe Dan Gold, the white captain of Mississippi State, stood at half court and you shook hands before the start of the game. And that was an incredibly symbolic moment. How did an unlikely friendship develop from that handshake at half court? Well, we realized later on that we had so much in common. Um, but the kind of lead into that, because I, I always tell the story, is when I went up to shake his hand, the place lit up. I mean, there were flash bulbs all over the place, just popping, popping. And I, to this day, I'll never forget that. And I didn't at first realize what was going on. And then I realized that they, and then I didn't realize that they had run into a lot trying to come uh, to Michigan to play us. It was a first in many respects. Uh, and, and we had gotten to be real good friends after that. It was a good game. Uh, that's another thing. We only won by 11. But... Um, it was uh, even closer than that, a real good game. And the guys were so nice. And uh, later on in life, they said the same about us. But to be the first to do this, and you thinking that Mississippi, Alabama, that they're not really interested in that, in integrating and all. But the guys were so happy to finally play against African-Americans and to break that color line. And from there on, things really opened up at Mississippi. Uh, matter of fact, two years later, a doctor, Dr. Holmes, became uh, a student at um, Mississippi, which was the first. So strange enough and ironically enough, a basketball got things started. Because they were even um, trying to find out how many, what did people think about that, about uh, Mississippi playing against uh, Loyola, even in Mississippi. And the radio had 
sort of uh, checking out what people thought about it. And 80% of the people wanted that to happen. And a lot of people don't realize that. They wanted to play against black players. But um, the governor and the people uh, in that category did not want it. But we got to be best of friends. And uh, we, we both dealt with mentoring, liked to work with kids. We both had cancer. And uh, so we had a lot to talk about. And we got really, really close. And matter of fact, um, he passed away from cancer. And I went to the funeral. And I was the only black there at the funeral. And the family had heard, knew about me. The wife and all, and they ran over and hugged me. The the ball players were all there to his funeral. And, um, boy, it, it just... Then the, the the picture of me and Rodan Gold uh, shaking hands, that was right outside the casket. They had the big picture there that even to this day gets me a little uh, weak inside with my legs and everything. But, wow, that, I can still see that. And uh, it just was a, a greater uh, occasion there. Gary and, and Lucas, this next question is for both of you. And, and Lucas, I'll start with you. you. But you both had the honor of meeting each other back in, in 2018. Uh, Lucas, what do you admire most about Jerry and that 1963 Loyola National Championship team he was a part of? Um, one of the things that I admire about um, Jerry and the 1963 team um, is just like, like their their focus, their will to win, um, like on the court and off the court. I mean, the brotherhood that they had off the court obviously shows in the way that they played on the court. Um, like, you know, a lot of things that we talk about in, in building this culture right now is like you have to really like play for the guy next to you. And um, that 63 team and Jerry being captain on that team and leading, really leading that team, I mean, he – they really encompassed a lot of the things that we're still trying to do today. Um, you know, in terms of like, you know, brotherhood, playing for each other, playing team defense, playing together, um, like just winning the right way. Um, there's so many lessons that you could take from their story um, and apply it to, to today. Um, not just like basketball, not just speaking basketball terms, but like obviously off the court, the issues that Jerry is speaking on right now. Um, that like we only we I will never have to go through something like that because you know guys like Jerry and and Jackie Robinson and and um, they've already gone through it so that I I, I won't have to um, so I mean those are those are the things that I admire about the '63 team and Jerry. Jerry, I'll I'll flip the question on you. What, what's impressed you most about Lucas and the the Sweet 16 and the Final Four teams that he's been a part of? Well, you know, I I looked at that team, and you almost get an idea of life, what you can accomplish in life. That was a team that had a lot of talent, 
but their connection together made them even better than that, better than the talent that they showed. And it just shows the when when people get together and strive for something. And I I tell you there there was nobody I saw this that I mean everybody hit the winning shot <laughs> to me. And that's beautiful. Um if you look at that team in a game almost it wasn't just one person. Everybody would come up with a big shot, would play their part. And that's the way it is in life today. If everybody play their part, we can make it. And I saw that team get better and better because of the connection they had with each other. And I think that's underplayed, what you can do together. And our team, for example, we got better. We struggled a little bit because Jack Egan, it was in an all-white area, we couldn't even go into his area in Chicago. And a lot of the other players on Loyola playing against us, the black players, this was a first, and we got to know each other. There was some, uh, it's not promoted a lot, but there we had a few problems early on. There was one major problem I remember uh, Bill Smith from Harlem was on the team. Great ball player. And him and Egan couldn't get along. They they just, uh, Bill is a little more militant, and they just were battling with each other. And later on in life, uh, Bill Smith uh, gets sick. Egan called him every day and they talked and they got, and they began to the point that they really cared for each other. Uh, Bill Smith passed away. Egan was at the hospital. I mean, and and it just goes to show once you come together and uh, get to know each other, what can happen? I think both teams were perfect examples. Oh, I just love, I really did. Our team went further, but they went to the final four. And I just, I just had not seen a team like theirs before. How they blended in. Nobody really uh, have to take the last shot. And that made the team better because the other teams couldn't focus in on any one person. Uh, it's, I really liked, it was such a, good example of life, I thought Loyola's uh, team uh, a couple of years ago. Jerry, I was fascinated. I was watching an interview you did years ago and was fascinated to hear you talk about that. Um, the, the first half of that national championship game you guys played against Cincinnati, um, you said were the worst 30 minutes of basketball you've ever played in your life. And you, you actually had, you had zero points at halftime. How did you turn it around in the second half, down 15 points to edge Cincinnati in overtime for the national title? It's, it's strange to, to bring it up. I, I think within myself, the type of personality I had, 
is that I w- that would have been on my mind and I knew it the rest of my life. I would have never gotten over if we had lost that game because I felt that the players depended on me for something. And I'm not the only one. They depended on everybody else, each other on the team. But not to score a point in the first half. And I I was in tears. And the other thing that I remember that I bring out a lot, I I prayed. I prayed to God. I, I just felt so bad that I had let the team down. And that's what brought me back, I think. Matter of fact, I was praying when we were down one point, uh, two points, and um, I hit a shot to put it in to overtime. And I, I never forget. I thank the Lord on that. And then, oh, it just so much. It seems like spiritually, I got stronger in that game. Because I know, I always thank myself. I would have been sick with myself for the rest, that one game of my life, because I let the team down. And um, everybody on the team felt that way about each themselves. And I was having, I think it was 13, 14 points or something. I came back, but uh, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. Lucas, I, I understand that, that you love storytelling. Your dad growing up was a videographer for ABC7 in Chicago for a number of years. What's a story wow. or two that he shared with you that influenced your decision to go into journalism? Um, I don't know if there was ever one specific story um, I just know, you know, every day he came home and he had a different story to tell. And that was really what fascinated me. Um, one story that I will never forget though, is, um, he used to work for ABC world before, um, I was born. Yeah. Um, and so he traveled the world. So there's actually really two stories. One story is when he was like in Europe and he was covering a story for something and he actually got arrested, um, for just doing his job. Um, but then the other story, which is a little bit more funny, uh, he was in Africa shooting something and there was these monkeys on the, on the, tr- on this tree and he was messing around with the monkeys. And as he was messing around with one of the monkeys, um, they kind of like played him. So he was messing around with one of the monkeys and then his buddy was behind him, um, messing with like his camera gear and he actually stole one of his batteries. Um, yeah so my dad turns around and he sees the other monkey and the monkey takes his battery and runs back up the tree so he had to go and get the get the battery back so that's 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 a good one Uh, jerry since since lucas is majoring in journalism and, and wants to eventually go into the media as someone that was Indianapolis's first black sportscaster, what advice would you have for him about pursuing a career in media? Well, I, I had a lot of things going for me and a lot of things that I, I didn't. Um, number one, it opened up uh, where 
Indianapolis said, hey, we got to start hiring African-Americans. So I was with the Pacers at the time, and I, I, um, I got to tell this story. Um, I was um, in, in Dallas, and um, I came off the bench, and we were down a couple of points, and we were battling back. I made a nice layup, and we were down two points. And then uh, one of the players scored, and we were tied up. And um, Dallas, the Chaparrales, took the ball and went up with about five seconds to go, and they scored. And it was four, three, two. We took the ball out of bounds, a guy by the name of Oliver Darden, and gave it to me inbounds under their basket. And I pulled it back, and I let it go. I'm still not sure if I got it off in time. But I let it go, and I noticed that the ball was kind of going towards the basket. The ball hit the the backboard and went in. And it was the longest shot made in basketball history. And it was the longest three-point shot because uh, they had taken the three-point shot. And I had gotten a lot of coverage on it all over the country as well as uh, Indianapolis. And um, that's when they it opened up to me, uh, uh, making the longest shot in basketball history. It's, it's still the longest professional uh, shot ever made. Somebody tied it. Um, but anyway, just had to throw that in there because that's how people started to to um, really notice me and give me um, a lot of interviews and things like that. So I got involved like that, and then the the school the the TV station had to hire were under pressure to hire blacks. Um, so uh, they came to me. And I said, I'll give it a try. And I struggled for a year or two. Well, about a year. I struggled where I was mediocre at best. And I got better. And I just kept working at it. And I said, it's just like athletics. You work at it, work hard, you'll get better. And I did. And as a result, I spent 12 years uh, as a television reporter on the weekend uh, with Channel 13 in Indianapolis, and I was on um, on that for 12 years. Lucas, you, you wrote an op-ed um, in the, the school newspaper, the Loyola Phoenix, that was really impressive, and I'm, I'm going to read a quote that you, you put in your article, and you said, uh, racism is a disease that left unchecked will plague our country perpetually. What is the best way to go about having uncomfortable conversations about race and social issues, especially with people that think differently than you do? Um, you know, first of all, I would just say I'm not an expert, but this is just my opinion. Um, you know, I would just say, like, just the, the, the first step would just be just to have the conversation. You know, the, the, having the conversation with itself is just, 
already uncomfortable. Um, but we need those type of conversations in order to, to have progress. I mean, the first step would obviously need to be understanding one another. Um, if we don't, if there's no understanding, um, if we're just making decisions for one another, making decisions based off of, you know, prejudices and, and stereotypes, then we're really not gonna have real progress. Um, if you understand someone, then you can start to love, love one another, and then you can really start making decisions in other people's best interests. Um, but that first step is understanding, and that starts with, with anybody everywhere. Um, you know, anybody that, that has a friend or, or knows somebody, you know, just sit down and just talk with them. Like, you know, today's, today, I feel like right now, there's, there's always something going on right now. Um, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but, you know, social media, everything is, is connected. So, I mean, if something happens, you know, just check on, check on your, your, your friends of color, um, you know, reach out to them, just know to say that you're in their corner, um, supporting you. If you ever want to talk, like I'm here, things of that nature. Um, but that first step needs to be, you know, having conversations with one another so you can come to a place of understanding. Jerry, is there? That's why I think. Yeah, yeah go ahead. That's why I think basketball is and sports is so good because it almost draws us together, um, not only on the court, but we eat together. We do a lot of things together. And from that, uh, conversation should be even easier because you could start from sports into. Um, um, the situation of the day. I, I really, I really think that, and a lot of people don't talk about our Loyola team and the problems that we had with each other, because they don't know and we don't push it. We, uh, we have a tendency to talk about the good things and and um, us winning the national title and having a four Matter of fact, we had five when when Egan uh, fouled out of a game. We had five on the court in Division One, so we were the first. But anyway, it's just that it, the conversation almost pushes itself in into our everyday living, and to see that how we got so so much closer. Not, not as far as basketball, but as people, as the everyday living. And it came together. And then another thing, then we got close with Mississippi State players who were not even, they had never played, well, they played with blacks sometimes uh, on schoolyard and so on. But to get you to know, we even got close to them because of what we did together and breaking uh, barriers. And we got to meet them and we got to be good friends. My example of Joe Dan Gold, the captain and I, is just one. All the other guys got my son who um, and did the game of change. He came. He came up with the idea and did with the, so he had to visit all of the um, white players and so on and and it was a great experience for the white players and Gerald, uh, my son. So 
ironically enough, sports can bring you together. Um, and I think that was one reason why uh, Mississippi took to that game taking place so fast because they they wanted to support their team. And they felt that they were hurting their team by not being able to play in the big tournament because of their feelings about uh, black and white playing against each other. So people started to change because they felt that their team was being hurt by not playing in the tournament. And, and so sports can really play a part. And um, so it played a part with us on the court as well as off the court. Jerry, you wrote a memoir about your life called Connections. What do you want people to understand about your life? And why did you decide to write the book? Oh, good. Uh, um, matter of fact, I got so involved and I forgot to push my own book here. <laughs> Man, yeah. I, uh, the thing I like about it is that um, it, it tells uh, about my life coming up in Harlem. The Jackie Robinson is, is just one issue that I had. I, I, it gives me an opportunity to talk about the Loyola team. Um, and the connection that we had off the court as well as on, because that was not like it is now. I mean, a lot of different things that was taking place. But uh, I, I also kind of put uh, spiritual stories in my life and that connection with sports. And um, I think that, gives it an opportunity to do that. But many of the things that we talk about here, um, coming up in Harlem and then having to make adjustments, going to a school called Dewitt Clinton, which was predominantly Jewish, and how we got to, to appreciate each other, even though we wore different clothes, like Blacks uh, wore certain sneakers and the Jews wore and, and we started changing and wearing each other's clothes and, and the sneakers and things like that. And it just shows once you come together uh, and I, uh, I, um, things really open. And I think Lucas hit it on the nose when he talked about, let's talk about it. And we did with the Jewish guys at Clinton. We sat down and talked about we had them come up to play ball in um, in Harlem, and we went to to the neighborhoods, the Jewish neighborhoods, and played. And we went out to lunch together. It was just knowing each other and and going from there. And I think the book does that. It talks about Ireland and what he did, um, and taking the chance to to go at four and the abuse he took, and then um, my coach not giving up on me in basketball at the beginning, and also in track and field, and Jackie Robinson. It just and my mom, who um, had a nervous breakdown because of the poverty and 
the struggles she had to go through by herself, and it and and how she broke through that and became better. A bet she got confidence in herself. She got a job and that determination, and that came back on me. Her determination and drive that I didn't have right away, and when I saw her go out. And she had nervous breakdown in, in a hospital, fought her way back, and took care of us. Good job. That grew on me, and that's why um, I think I, I got to be so much better in basketball. Because of the determination I saw in her, I decided to use. Perfect. We'll make sure to write that to, we'll link it in the podcast with the address so that people can, can write to you and get the book. Um, I, I, I will be the first on the list, I should say too. So you can put me down for a copy and I'll send you the money. Um, Lucas, Lucas you, you played a pivotal role in the formation of the Rambler Alliance for Equity. What, what's the purpose of that organization and the impact you guys are trying to make? Um, just kind of, you know, piggybacking off of what I just said, you know, trying to get the conversation started, um, trying to, um, you know, make Loyola a better place, um, especially for our, our student athletes here, because, um, you know, a lot of the student athletes in the program make up a lot of the, the, the like African-American and people of color um, population for the school. So it's just like, you know, making sure that Norville is uh, a safe place for our student athletes. Um, you know, it's a place where, you know, we can't really control uh, the athletic department. They can't really control what's going on without the, with the rest of the school. But at least when you come into the facilities here, you come to practice, you come to your locker room, um, you can start to feel a little bit like home. Um, you can feel that the athletic department um, is really you know, behind you, they, they, we, they care about us. Um, and it's something that I've, I've worked really, really closely with our athletic director, Steve. I mean, he's been all over it. Um, so uh, I give him credit. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically what, what it's, what it's supposed to be about. Jerry, you're, you're the executive director of the Indianapolis chapter of 100 Black Men. How does that organization support the lives and aspirations of young black men? Yeah, well, it it, um, it really, we go into schools and we go into the classrooms and work with the kids in the classroom, help the teacher that's already in there. Um, we play uh, athletics together. Um, we, um, we have... Um, movies that we'll go to and afterwards we'll discuss the movie um we just talk with kids i give them my experiences and um and because i can tell them that i've been through what you're going through sort of a experience so i try to tap them in many ways and then we try to um help them and and not only on the basketball court, but with their schoolwork. Uh, we have a lot of um, doctors that are in there. So black doctors will will put on uh, little programs and 
it's just a very positive event. Matter of fact, I'm kind of glad you brought that up because I just sold, I think what, and I thank them, 50 books to a black uh, student group of Loyola. And I'm going to talk to their group. Uh, I'm glad that they asked me to do that. But um, uh, we have to, we have to do a lot together and help each other. So uh, I'm glad they had uh, me come out to talk to them uh, over the phone or Zoom. And um, I think that's what we have to do. I wanted one of my last few questions for you both. I wanted to ask you both, and uh, Lucas, I'll start with you. You know, George, the George Floyd murder trial was front and center over these last few months. What was your reaction when you heard the Derek Chauvin verdict of guilty, guilty, guilty? Um, I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, first off, I mean, it's, it's a touchy subject. You know, it's something that, you know, it's uncomfortable to talk about. You know, I feel very passionately about this subject. Um, but, you know, once I heard what the ruling was, um, I was, I don't, I'm not happy about it because, you know, obviously I would be happy if the situation never happened. Um, you know, I do feel like justice was served, but at the same time, it's like, like, again, justice would have been served if George Floyd was still with us today. Um, but what I don't, what I didn't want to happen was, you know, people look at this incident and they say, hey, we got it right. And then people forget that we have this underlying problem in America. Um, and that's what I really don't want to happen. I don't want the conversation to die just because, um, you know, we got it right one time, you know. Um, there, there are so many cases that I feel like we, we don't, we haven't even talked about, we, that we don't even hear about. Um, and because you don't hear about it, you might not have gotten the same publicity as this trial. And, you know, it might be corrupt. Um, so, I mean, we still, I still feel like I want people to say like, you know, we still have a long ways to go. We still have progress that needs to be made. Um, we did, you know, justice was served. We did get it right one time, but, um, you know, going further, hopefully we can prevent it, prevent incidents, incidents like this from happening for one and for two. Um, hopefully we can have um, more accountability and, 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 and holding people to, to a certain standard going forward. Jerry, what, what was your reaction when you heard the verdict? I was happy. Um, I've been through so much. Um, I've been through a lot of good, and uh, Mississippi State, Loyola is the good. But um, when I came back um, and became the first African-American for Quaker Oaks, I wanted to move to Winneka, and I, I couldn't find a place that would take me. And I, we had won the national title, all of this, and even around Loyola. So um, I was kind of happy, but leery. And I think I have a right to be leery because I've seen so much, all of this turned around. 
even right now, um, they're talking about another hearing for him. So this, this really bugs I mean, it hurts me because I've been through a lot. Uh, and I think of a kid getting shot 16 times and, and all of the things that I went, I saw happen. I'm, I am still so very, very leery. And I, I think that we will have to stay on top of it and not relax. And the one thing that's making movement is that blacks and whites are doing a marching, are doing things together. And that's a, a big plus. But I'm still leery of it, and uh, I still hurt from the things. Uh, I, I just... I just had a lot of pain when, when I, I heard the other day he's going to get another trial. They're fighting to give him another trial. So here we go again. So it's been tough for me because I've, I've uh, faced it and went through a lot. I've seen a lot of progress, but um, then you have these things that occur and you think we still have so long to go. And But at first, when the decision took place, I said, yes. But then this decision that he might get another trial, I said, there, here we go again. Or it's it just, it's been depressing for me. And I'm, I've just seen so much in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find so interesting about both of you and in, in the way that your lives are entwined um, sort of even unintentionally through basketball and the different eras you played is that obviously you came to Loyola to play basketball, um, but your roles, you know, on each of your teams has been so much greater than just basketball. So I'll I'll ask each one of you this, but you know, how, how have you just embraced um, and, and Jerry, let's start with you. How have you embraced that, that your life and that sort of your purpose was used as a, as a vessel for something much bigger than basketball, even though you didn't necessarily, when you were younger, you didn't necessarily think that your, your life was going to be used in that way. Wow. I uh, want to bring something out here. And uh, I, so I don't know if I tapped into your question, but I, I truly believe that um, Lucas's um, experience with that Loyola team and my experience with mine was made to be. I truly believe it's spiritual. Mm-hmm. I think of Jackie Robinson coming in my life, moving me over to basketball. Uh, I think of a guy uh, that uh, watched us play the loyal championship team and he when we won the title he was black and he said i want to do something i want to do something after watching us and his name was dr ot gordon and dr ot gordon came to indianapolis and became my doctor after i motivated him he became my doctor. Guess what? 
he finds cancer in my um, body and corrects me. Texas Southern. Um, I was on my way to Texas Southern and the dorm burns down, which gives me an opportunity to go uh, to Loyola. Um, I had a, I was almost in a point scandal, but at the last minute, I said no. If I go into the point scandal, my everything goes out the window. That happened to me. Um, I could go over and over with things that uh, uh, that happened to me. Ireland going in there, being hung in effigy when uh, the when the dorm burned down at Texas Southern, Ireland didn't really want me, but somebody said, eh, you got another, he, he can't go to Texas. He's trying. And he, and he called me over and gave me a scholarship. It's, it's just, um, Les Hunter and me, we both was ready to leave the school because of some of the problems that we had, but we decided to stay. Um, Sixth, seventh, ninth, a lot of people, some people don't realize the sixth man, the seventh man, and the ninth man for our team um, had to leave school because of grades. We won that national title with nine people and with half the the people gone. So I I could go on and on with the different things that, that happened to me. I was not a great shooter, and I hit the longest shot in in basketball history. I mean, it's almost like, and this whole deal with um, Mississippi State, uh, I think it's spiritual. I think because to have two great teams that really cared for each other, I, I can go on and on. I can call, talk about Vic Rouse, who uh, had polio when he was a kid, and they didn't think he'd walk. And he hits the winning basket. Then he gets stabbed in Evanston when we go to a, a party over there. He got stabbed real bad in his back. Les Hunter, coming to Loyola, he was 6'4 when Ireland decided to get him and Ralph to come. He comes into Loyola, grown three and a half, four inches. He was 6'7 when he got in Loyola. I mean, I got all of that. I could go on and on with things. I'm not going to hold you. But I, I truly think that God has enough. He wants us to change. And these were, we were just two of the things to do to make these things change. I could go on and on with the, the ball players and all that, but just to give you an idea, that might be my next uh, book of all of the things. The KKK coming into the dormitory at, at uh, Loyola and uh, with their, not them coming in, but um, sending us cards and all of that. It's just, it's just amazing. And, and all we went through in New Orleans and Houston. So... I just have to throw that out there. I just think that what we're doing is something to help America. I truly believe that. Lucas, how do you how do you feel like your life and your voice is being used in, in something 
beyond basketball? Um, well, I've always tried to, to pride myself on that. You know, I'm not just a basketball player. Um, like, this is my passion. This is something that I dedicate a lot of my time to. Um, and I love basketball and I could, you know, I'll probably be, you know, 60 years old, still playing in the YMCA somewhere, but, um, <laughs> you know, but there are other things that I'm also passionate about. You know, I'm passionate about, um, you know, equality. Um, I'm passionate about, um, you know, making Chicago a, a better place, uh, making the nation a better place, um, leaving things better, better than what the way I found it. Um, you know, and, and, and Jerry talked, talked a lot about, you know, spirituality and, you know, I, I do believe, I believe that too, you know, cause you know, my senior year, I wasn't really recruited by Loyola at all, um, until late, um, Loyola actually didn't even have a scholarship available until somebody decided they were going to transfer out. Um, so the, the fact that I even, you know, am still at this university, the fact that I'm connected with guys like Jerry, um, to a story. Um, like the 63 team, you know, and that that really just aligns with everything that I am trying to do, uh, everything that I that I all my goals and aspirations that I have off the court. Um, you know, it's it's really like it's really crazy to think about, you know, that God has put me in this position to where I could even, you know, be in be in a movie narrating, telling their story. Um, I mean, so that's that's just, that's crazy to think about. And it's just, uh, it's just such a blessing to be in this position, to be a part of this, this university, um, to represent this university and doing something that I love basketball. So, um, yeah. When I wow. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I had no, no idea uh, about Lucas and there's a connection even in our conversation here. Um, he's going to be huge success. Lucas is going places. Well, most definitely. That's the, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Lucas, has is there a date set for the release of the, the documentary that you're working on? Um, as of right now, there's no uh, official release date yet. Um, but when it comes out, I mean, it's it's going to be, it's going to, I mean, it's a great movie. I think that it has a little bit of everything. It has a little bit of you know, what we need to hear right now as a nation. Um, like, yes, there are things that divide us, but that, that's just only thing that just makes us different. But at the same time, like, you know, when you talk about sports, when you talk about um, just this nation as a whole, I mean, there's so many things that also bring us together. Um, so I think this story is going to be something that people watch and be like, hey, you know, we are different. We come from different places. But at the same time, like everybody can cheer for a 1963 team. I mean, um, everybody's going to cheer for, for Loyola um, in that movie. So, I mean, um, I think it's just it's, it's going to be a great movie to, for where our nation is right now. Well, we look forward to, to seeing it when it comes out and obviously look forward to keep following your journey and we, we know you're going to continue to have success on the basketball court, but I think probably I can speak for Jerry and saying we look forward to even more seeing the success you're going to have coming off the court because that, that's, uh, that's pretty much guaranteed. So thank you to you both for, for taking the time to chat with me today and to have this conversation. It, it's such an honor to, to learn from you both and to listen to you both, um, Jerry and Lucas. And 
Uh, Jerry, you know, thank you so much for taking the time. I look forward to, to getting your book here in the next couple of weeks. And I look forward to seeing, seeing your friendship between the two of you continue to grow and prosper. Thank you very much. I believe that will take place. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, this was a lot of fun.